Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that we may understand what it has to show us, for we ask it in your name, and amen. In progressing through the Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20, we now come to the first of the second group, as many people see it, and indeed there is good justification for that. The first four commandments concern our relationship with God, and then the remaining six concern our relationship with our fellow people. And uh, there are two special things about this commandment. Firstly, it's, uh, although it is in that second group, it's the only one that doesn't start with thou shalt not. You have to give me, I was brought up with the authorised version, and thou shalt not was always what was remembered. This doesn't. The other thing is, unlike any of the other six commandments to come, it contains a promise. Indeed, it is called the first commandment with promise. But it does two other things. I believe it links this commandment and the remaining five with the first four. We'll see how that happens in a moment. But it does something else. It reminds us of family. You might say, how? Well, father and mother are family. That's the way it is, isn't it? And that thread runs through what we look at this morning. I have three headings, the broader picture, the commandment itself, and then the promise which it contains. Now, we don't usually start a sermon with the broader picture, but uh, we need to do so with this, because we need to see that this commandment isn't given, as it were, in a vacuum. If you remember back on the 27th of May, we saw at the beginning of Exodus chapter 20 those three statements, as it were. Firstly, in verse 1, that God spoke all these words. These are God's words to you and me and to all mankind. Secondly, he said, I am the Lord your God. Now, our English translation is uh, accurate in one sense, but it doesn't give the right emphasis. It actually says, I, Yahweh, your God. And we can think of it perhaps as if we heard someone say, I, Elizabeth, your queen. I, Elizabeth, yes, your queen. It's that relationship between a sovereign God and a sinful man or woman. And then finally, that message of salvation, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery or bondage. That expression, uh, using the picture of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, of the redeemed people, who too were brought out of the bondage of sin. And in this broader picture, we see three points again. Firstly, it does concern family. If you were to ask most Christians, what is the first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve? They would probably say, and I probably would, well, it was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you would be wrong. If you read Genesis chapter 1 carefully, you would find that he completed the creation by creating the man and the woman. And then in Genesis 1.28 we read, Then God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. 
That is the first commandment. There it is, Genesis 1.28. That's God's first commandment. We would say nowadays, start a family. And every one of us here today is here as a result of obedience to that commandment. Now, Uncle John and Auntie Flo had no children. And Uncle John's brother Ben and Auntie Alice had no children. And so that line of the family, the Rushmore side, is extinct. But other members of the family did, and I had on that side of the family no less than 30 cousins, so uh, we did multiply. So the point is this, that that commandment is concerning family. And you notice, uh, I've been looking at uh, things about Noah's Ark and the flood and so on and so forth, but if you read Genesis 6, 8 and 9, you will find the word covenant mentioned several times. And of course, at harvest time, we very often invoke the rainbow, something the children can appreciate and remember. The promise of the rainbow that uh, there would be seed time and harvest in perpetuity, but Noah also, in the middle of all of that, received a commandment, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 9 verse 1. That first commandment of Genesis 1.28 is repeated in Genesis 9 verse 1. Noah, with his sons, their wives, was a family. And that family was given the command to multiply. If they had all been like Uncle John and Uncle Ben and not had any children, where would we be today? We wouldn't be here, would we? God gave that command concerning family. But interestingly, in verse 16 of Genesis 9, the word covenant is used, but it is stated to be an everlasting covenant. God's everlasting covenant not only provides us with food, but it provides us with family. And when we hear about refugees and all this sort of thing, emigrants, immigrants, we need to remember that everyone, every single one of those men and women and children are part of the same family because we are all descended from Noah. He's up there somewhere in our family tree. We better believe that because the Bible says so and it's true. And you see how important family is because how does the New Testament start? Not with some great doctrine of grace, but with family, Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy, the family of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and so on. Right through the generations, his family tree. Why? Because of this promise, you see, that God gave Noah. So that is part of this general background to our text this morning. Secondly, it concerns man's sinful nature. Enclosed in those verses in Genesis are the reminder that we are sinful. Back in Genesis 8, verse 21, we read this. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. 
Now the word although there is actually uh, not a wrong translation, but it can be misleading. Because think of this, if after the flood man had learned his lesson not to sin, why would God need to promise not to destroy the world, not to kill all the people? With no sin there would be no punishment. It is because of man's sinful nature. So if we reread this in the sense of the original Hebrew, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake because the imagination of man's heart is evil. It's very important to grasp that. We read this too in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. Therefore the deep by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is knowledge of sin. And Paul is reaffirming what God said in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21 that we are sinful by nature. What's this got to do with Exodus 20 and uh, this text about honouring father and mother? Let's look at the text. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long in the upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's very important to see that there is forgiveness in God. And when we hear people say, well, I couldn't honour my father and mother, you don't know them. How terrible it is when people feel that their parents have let them down badly. Some years ago in Whittlesea, we had a dear man meeting with us. I don't think he was a Christian, but he became ill and was taken into hospital over Christmas. So I went to see him on Christmas Day. And shortly after he was moved to another hospital, I thought for convalescence. But when I went to see him the second or third time there, um, they were a little bit distressed and they said, well, we have, sorry, we have to tell you that Jimmy has died. Has died? Yes, didn't you know he had terminal cancer? No, I had no idea. So I asked about a funeral and they said, well, uh, it will be a pauper's funeral. I knew he had a daughter, he'd mentioned her. His daughter didn't want anything to do with a funeral. Well, mercifully, we were able to arrange a funeral from the church. And the daughter turned up. Iris turned up. And I didn't ask her. She came out with it. She said, the reason I didn't arrange a funeral for my father was he walked out on us and left mother and me destitute and had nothing more to do with us. We did keep in touch, but that was it. And I didn't want to have anything to do with arranging a funeral for him. Tragic. But you know, she forgave him because she in the end turned up at the funeral. It was her last gesture of honoring her father despite what he had done to that family. And as Christians, 
We need to remember Jesus' teaching, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And you notice twice in those verses the word Father. So if you feel I cannot possibly forgive my father or my mother for what they have done to me, read Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, and forgive. If you're not a Christian, perhaps this is all something foreign to you. And we say, well, we can't forgive our parents or perhaps we know someone who's had a bad experience. We can't expect them to forgive their parents. But look what happened in Luke chapter 13. They came to Jesus and they told him about some Galileans who were worse sinners than other Galileans because some disaster had happened to them. That's what they thought. But Jesus said, no, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. If you read that uh, pair of verses, Luke 13, 3 and 4, and where it says Galilean, substitute parents, do you suppose that your parents were worse sinners than all the other parents because they suffered such things? I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Don't use the failings of your parents as an excuse for your own sin. And then thirdly, it concerns all mankind. This is the whole point, isn't it? Back to Genesis 9 and verse 16. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look up to it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is on the earth. God made that covenant not with just Abraham and his descendants, not just with Christ and his descendants and Christians, he made it with everybody, which is why it's an everlasting covenant, which is why the ungodly are fed as well as the godly, which is why the ungodly can be healthy just as well as the godly, sometimes more so. God's covenant with Noah was an everlasting covenant, and we are all in that covenant, every man, woman, and child on this planet. That's what Genesis 9.16 says. And even the animal kingdom is included. Our Lord Jesus, in uh, speaking of our value to our Heavenly Father, says this, Matthew 10, verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground, apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Well, don't look at my head. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And again, the translation is uh, perhaps a little bit uh, misleading. What the Greek original actually says is this. Don't be afraid that many sparrows are worth more than you. Don't be afraid that many sparrows are worth more than you. In other words, it's not the Lord Jesus saying the sparrows are worthless. They aren't. They have a worth, but you 
are worth far more. Now this is very practical because it puts the animal rights people firmly in their place because it means that yes, we have a duty to the animal world but never, never, never at the expense of our fellow men, women, boys and girls. That's the practical outcome. So secondly, we come to the commandment itself. And this is indeed a positive commandment. And the word that struck me when I came to look at this verse was the first word, it's the first word in the Hebrew, the word honour. The first four commandments plainly are that we should honour God by not making idols, by not taking his name in vain as we have seen, and by observing a day that when we remember him, the Lord's day. But this verse talks of honouring mother and father. But if we take what we just looked at, we realise that when we honour mother and father, we are honouring the creation that God made in Genesis, that God preserved later in Genesis, and to whom he gave that everlasting covenant. So in other words, when we say that, well, these first four commandments are to honour God and these are to look after men, that's true, but it's only part of the truth. We are to honour our fellow men because in so doing, we honour God. The Lord Jesus makes it quite clear that these are eternal commandments. They are not, as some people would have, dispensational. There was an era when that was true, another era when that was true, and another era now when this is true. Not so. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, 18 and 19, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth, till the end of the world, pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be caught, called least in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because in keeping all of his commandments, all ten of them, as it were, we honour him. Secondly, it reflects an understanding of God's law. I was saying that there is a hymn that I would have liked to have sung and uh, got my knuckles wrapped because we could have put it up on the screen, so I'll remember that next time. Not today, but next time maybe. And the hymn goes like this. It's in the old Grace hymn book. How shall the young direct their way? What light shall be their perfect guide? Your word, O Lord, will safely lead if in its wisdom they confide. What's it doing? It's talking about the young. Psalm 119, verse 9 and, and on. Young, parents, family. And it instructs us and informs us that we need to understand. It's important, isn't it? that we do seek understanding. Jesus in the parable again in Matthew 13, who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. 
Now, if we try to link that with the text in Genesis and suggest that we're going to have 60, 100, or 30 children, well, I don't think we've got that right. But he is talking about spiritual fruit. And one of the purposes of family is that we may share the gospel with our families, with our children, and going up with our parents, with our brothers and sisters, cousins, nephews, nieces. This is a tremendous thing. Think how Paul instructed Timothy, listen to what your mother and your grandmother told you. Do you remember that? Family again. This is part of the understanding that God wants us to have. And thirdly, it reflects Christian humility. Why do we say that? Well, I would like to read from Matthew again, 21, but this time from the authorised version. You'll see why in a moment. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of the Father, they say unto him the first. And I shall never remember, forget reading those strange words. Whether of them twain did the will of the Father. I like those words because although they're so old-fashioned and archaic, they are so memorable. Which of those sons did his father's will? Christian humility is embedded in the obedience to his commandment, including this commandment, honour your father and your mother. So finally we come to the promise which is contained in this commandment. <coughs> As Paul writes to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Well, in a way, it's the only commandment with promise, but perhaps Paul, in using the first, is saying it's of first importance because it contains a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth and there are three benefits from this promise firstly the benefit obviously to the individual to whom it is given honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the lord your god is giving you now there are two words in that which again we have to look to the Hebrew to grasp their real meaning and significance. This word that means with the purpose that. Now that may sound very mercenary. We honour our parents because of the benefit that we get. But it's true. And so many things in God's word are true even though they may sound mercenary. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have eternal life. What a wonderful benefit to have. Yes, we need to have belief, repentance, forgiveness for sin and the hope of eternal life. But we also benefit from that 
great promise. And so this promise gives us a benefit, but to apply it to our present situation, again taking the family context, we will lose the benefit unless we're very careful because Satan is attacking family now more than I can ever remember in my 75 years on this planet. In my young day, and I expect in the young day of most of us, family was at the heart of everything. And uh, I always remember I'm, we met uh, a family on holiday at Farley, one of those Christian holidays. And uh, I was, they came from Coatbridge near Glasgow and I was up there on work for work. And so I had their address and I went to see this family. And uh, there was the son, um, I forget his name right now. There was the daughter, there was the parents and they offered me tea and I stayed for tea and then it was time for church and uh, the mother went off to one church and the father went off to another church and the daughter whose boyfriend had turned, off, went, turned up went off with him to another church and the son, Alex his name was, went off the rails. Couldn't help but think that. They all went different directions and then they wonder why poor Alex went off the rails. Well, I'm not saying that families shouldn't worship in different congregations, but be very careful if we do that because we have to show an example. The upon in the Hebrew is the correct translation rather than in. Dwell upon the land. In other words, take possession of it. Now, you can travel into Bedford and you're in Bedford, but you don't own it. I don't even know if the Duke of Bedford owns it, maybe, but uh, you don't own it. You're there, but you don't own it. This is not what the Lord is saying. Of course, we have that picture of Israel, the promised land, and all the conflict even in the 21st century about Israel. But God is promising us a land that we will possess. That map which we were looking at shows a house where my auntie and uncle lived. But we have a mansion in heaven. And this upon points us to the permanent everlasting home of the redeemed. It's not only a case then of being there, but of belonging there. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. We look forward to it. But there is an encouragement too, because the apostle again in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 <coughs> says this, <clears throat> Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now my sister learned to play the piano and uh, my auntie very unwisely in my view got her to play out of the Methodist hymn book, Peace, Perfect Peace in this dark world of sin 
and she played it over and over again. And I said, peace, perfect peace with loved ones far away. Why don't you go and do something else? But never mind. I wasn't very nice to my dear sister, was I? Uh, she'll tell you that. But you see the point. God is promising us peace in Romans chapter 5. Not then only, but now too. That we may have a peace even in this corrupt, sinful, fallen world now because we have peace with God. Secondly, it brings benefit to mankind, to the whole human race. That's why we considered that commandment of the Lord, uh, comment of the Lord Jesus Christ earlier. Whoever breaks one of these, least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because God intends us as Christians to set an example by obedience to his commandments. There are those Christians who say, well, once you're saved, you cannot be lost, so you can do what you like in effect. It's nonsense. Obedience to the commandment and teaching obedience to commandments is part of God's plan for all of mankind, that men may see that God loves them and that we may point them to the Saviour. In door-to-door visitation, I see us on your programme when we go on the doorstep and people challenge us about these things, we can say that this is a benefit. God promised to Noah certain things, the rainbow is a sign of them, but he also promises eternal life to those who will love him. This commandment is one of love for parents, one of love for family, one of love for the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And finally, of course, to return to what we said earlier, it brings assurance of our eternal inheritance. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. There is this place where we belong. And it is his father's house. And we, as the family of redeemed, belong there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It has, through the years, been a favourite theme of writers, particularly those in the Victorian times, to show the problem that there is when there is an inheritance. Think of Pride and Prejudice, for example, and there is this inheritance and it's entailed and you can't get round it. It's, it's a closed door. This inheritance is for all believers and God's word offers it to each one of us. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long. But more, honour your heavenly father and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary, that we might have this inheritance 
incorruptible and undefiled. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your provision of family. And even though our families may fail us, or so we see, see it, we thank you that we are here because they exist or existed. We pray, Lord, that we may be worthy of them and honour them by living lives which are in accordance with your promises and your word. And we pray, Lord, that we may indeed receive that inheritance which is in heaven from our heavenly Father, who wants to give us all of the bounties and goodnesses of his kingdom, but only if we <coughs> repent and only if we turn to him in repentance, forgiveness, and no redeeming grace. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.